0: Steph, you're, you're a Kiwi gal from the middle of the Manawatu and um, God's taken you on quite a journey to, to have you in the Middle East. And, uh, but it's really, really uh, wonderful for us to be able to hear what God is doing and to hear how it is that your 23 years of service up there have been bearing fruit. So let me pray for you and um, I'll hand over the pulpit to you. Father, we, we do thank you that uh, your last instructions are our first, our first um, leading as to what we should do with our lives. And that is that you said we should go into all the world and in doing so, share in Christ, baptizing people into your name. And um, I thank you, Lord, that as we hear from Stephanie today, um, she represents, she embodies what it means to be a missionary in the 21st century. And so, Lord, we, we just ask that you'd give her your peace as she speaks. Uh, but also for us, Lord, may you pour revelation into our lives. So we ask your blessing upon her and us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Stu. Thanks, Greg.
1: Good morning, everybody. It's so nice to be back. I lived in um, Syria for three and a half years and in Lebanon for 20 years. And now I'm back in um, New Zealand permanently and actually based here in Tauranga. And every day I wake up and I feel so lucky. Like, I am just one of the luckiest people on earth to live in this beautiful place. And I drive over the water. This morning I was driving in from where I'm staying out at Ohauiti over the the estuary there and thinking, wow, it's just so beautiful here. So Lebanon is a beautiful country as well, but really I feel like I'm I'm living in paradise here. (coughs) And I love coming along here to BBC. Um, I just, I drink in the worship and the good teaching here. And every Sunday I feel completely undone. <laughs> so I'm so glad to be part of um, part of you. I've been enjoying sitting in the back and being anonymous, but I guess now my um, anonymous days are over. <laughs> so I, I wanna help you this morning to see some invisible people. And uh, these invisible people are modern day slaves. Slavery today is not about people being shackled in ships, uh, but it's, more, it's a lot more subtle than that. And so I want you to, uh, to open your eyes this morning and to see these 300,000 or more invisible girls that live in Lebanon. And so one in four uh, Lebanese families has a domestic worker. And these girls come from Asia and Africa, from poor countries where um, there's, not really, there's not food stability, there's not a future. And so to improve their family situation, they, they come out to, to Lebanon to work as housemaids. And some of them are very young, they come as young as 15 years old, even once I met a girl that came out when she was 14 years old. And my neighbour in the apartment building where I lived, my neighbours had one of these domestic workers. It's a very common thing. One in four families has a, a live-in domestic worker. So this girl was from Ethiopia, and we used to communicate from our, out to our kitchen windows when, the madame, when her madame was out. Uh, she slept on a sofa in the lounge. She didn't have any personal space. So she was the first up in the morning and the last to bed. She was on call 24-7 get me a glass of water, you know, whatever they they wanted done. $150 a month was her salary. Never allowed out of the house alone, never. Even the supermarket across the road, she couldn't go and visit. She'd have to go with the Madame. Uh, And so sometimes when the Madame was out, she would sneak over to my house, I'd hear a light tap on the door and she would come and she had her family's number written up her arm And I would um, allow her to, I would enable her to make a Skype call back to her family. She would be trembling that the Madame would know that um, she was in my house. She'd talk for just a couple of minutes and then she would run back to the apartment next to me. And so um, I got her an audio player with with the Bible on it and about 2000 songs in her language, Amharic. And it completely transformed her life actually and she was Muslim background. But um, after a few months, I just know a few words in Amharic. but she would say to me, Yesus which means Jesus is Lord. And so I saw that this audio player completely transformed her life. Like she would sit in the kitchen, I could see her opposite and she'd have her headphones on. And so um, I thought, let's, let's scale this. And so last time I was home, I had a give a little project and many of you did, uh, some of you gave a little and some of you gave a lot. And so I I got um, these audio players and I went around uh, Beirut and I distributed these and about uh, about 7,900 of these audio players got into these um, domestic workers. So, uh, where am I? Oh. Uh, in the last week that she was there, uh, she had her bags packed, and her neighbours, who I knew well, her employers, I said, "Do you mind if I just take her um, out for for a couple of hours? Um, I'm going to take her to church, and I won't take my eyes off her, and I'll get her back to you safely." And they refused. So that's what it's like to be a domestic worker. So, uh, this is Beirut on the map that you can see behind me. This is West Beirut, a predominantly Muslim area. Beirut is divided into East and West after the Civil War. And each of those uh, red dots represents an apartment building of at least five, five storeys. So it's a very built up area. And each of, those red, in each of those red dots, there's a maid who doesn't have any freedom of movement she doesn't have a day off, she can't go out when she wants, she's like, like the girl that lived opposite me. And the blue dots represent um, where there are maids as well, but they, ha- they can go out, they have a day off, they have freedom of movement. So that gives you, I think a picture tells a thousand words, that gives you an idea of just how, how many these girls are and what their situation is. So... Predominantly red dots, Mostly, built, you know, most buildings have uh, a maid that doesn't have a day off. And so I would go around, I would, you, you know, you can't just knock on the door and, and talk to these girls because they're like property. It would be like asking to talk to the Hoover or the Fridge. And so the way I got them in was through the janitor of the building. And he was usually a Syrian or a Sudanese or sometimes a Bangladeshi. And these, um, these janitors feel for these girls because they're foreigners themselves. And they understand, even though they have freedom of movement, they, they're the eyes and ears of the building. I always used to say to them, you know the secrets of this building. And they always used to laugh and say, yes, yeah, we do. They knew everything. Well, they see what's going out in the rubbish. They know what's going on inside the house. They know which girls uh, get a day off and which girls don't. So they became my partners in the ministry And so they would talk to the madame, get her permission, because we didn't do it behind backs. They would talk to the madame, and then if she agreed, the the, um, MP3 player would go to the maid. So it went from me to a Muslim janitor, because they were like 99.5% Muslim, to a Muslim madame, to often a Muslim maid was the chain of the MP3. And they really did make a difference. Shortly before I came home, my friend was telling me that she was speaking to one of these janitors and he didn't know her connection to me at all. And he said he was telling her the story of a maid in his building. And he said she was always crying, always crying. She'd come down, she'd put the rubbish out, she'd be crying. And um, he said one day um, this foreign lady came along (laughs) And she gave me uh, she gave m p three players for the for the girls in the building, and I gave one to this I got one to this Ethiopian girl. And he said she was a different girl from that day. He said after that, she always had her headphones in, and she was always smiling. He said it completely changed her life. And I loved it because um, it wasn't a story for me. You know he didn't know that the story was going to make it to me. So there was some really lovely feedback from that. So for those of you who gave to that project, uh, you can you can be happy that they they got into the girls. Uh, and when I was going around and talking to them, they would always say to me, um, you know, I would tell them what I'm doing, would give them the MP3s, and at the end they would go, "My fishy isn't there anything for me?" <laughs> and I'd go, "Yes, there is." <laughs> and so I would give them a, a Jesus film and a tract that was uh, specifically written for Syrians about forgiving, you know, forgiveness. And um, I would give them a Gospel of Luke. And often I would walk away and, you know, I would maybe pass the building later and I would see the the janitor sitting outside on his chair reading his Gospel of Luke. And so all of those dots, nearly every building in Beirut uh, has a janitor who has a a Bible now. is this gonna work for me? <laughs> yeah, so just a couple of pics as well. This is a, a Bangladeshi lady who I actually, I mean, normally I don't get to see the woman when I'm giving them out, but she happened to be outside at the gate. And there's an Ethiopian girl. I hiffed her one over the, over the fence and she's got two. So she's, she had a neighbor in her building who wanted one as well. So yeah, it was, it was great that they got in. Um, The map that I showed you, one day I actually, oh, let me go back. So if you see at the bottom of the map where the red dots are extremely dense, that area of Beirut is called the southern suburbs, and that's a Hezbollah-controlled area. And so um, one day they took me in for for questioning, and um, they locked the door, and he was really nice, the guy from Hezbollah actually. And the first question, he, it was all in Arabic, he said to me, um, I wanna understand who you are. And so I got a really nice opportunity to share with a leader of Hezbollah about my faith. What do you mean you became a Christian? Weren't you born a Christian? And what do you mean God called you to the Middle East? How, like, how, did, how did that happen? Tell me about how God called you to the Middle East. So that was a really nice um, opportunity. And then he was, they took my phone off me and they were very fascinated by this map (laughs) because um, I'm sure they thought I was a spy. And so uh, they saw that, he said, what you know the the name and the telephone number of every janitor in Beirut. (laughs) And so uh, after they had uh, interrogated me for three or four hours, they handed me over to general security and I was invited um, to spend the night in prison, (laughs) which is actually, I used to visit the prisons because I was involved in prison ministry, but that one I'd never seen, I didn't have access. So I got to finally see it from the inside. (laughs) And then uh, that eventually um, led to my uh, being deported actually back to New Zealand. So, I mean, it was fine, the timing was right. Okay, Uh, the timing was right, because I'd started something different that the government didn't know about at the time, or still don't know about actually. I, um, going around and meeting all these girls and seeing the abuses, I really, I decided I wanted to expose some of this stuff and just um, bring the whole evil system into the light, basically. And so I started a website with my friend who was visiting, and then I quickly um, deleted it because I thought they'll, they'll trace it back to me because I know nothing about IT. And then um, sometime after that, a friend who was looking at um, him and his wife were looking at becoming missionaries in Lebanon. They came out to visit and they were sitting in my lounge. And he said to me, why don't you do something for the, you know, for the domestic workers? Why don't you uh, do a website or something? And I said, well, I did, but you know, this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. And he said, do you know what I do? And I said, yes, you're a Bible college student. And he said, yes, but I'm also an internet security specialist. (laughs) So uh, him and I um, created this website and a Facebook page called This Is Lebanon, which the government of Lebanon really love. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's how this whole thing called This Is Lebanon was born. So just to give you a little bit of an idea of the, the what happens to these domestic workers, I wanna show you um, a clip from a BBC documentary actually called Made in Hell. Millions of women, mainly from Africa and Asia, work as domestic servants in the Middle East. But many face harsh conditions and are trapped in what's seen as a brutal form of modern-day slavery. Under a system known as kafala, their passports are confiscated and they're bound to their employer, risking punishment or imprisonment if they try to get out. A new documentary, Made in Hell, is the first part of the BBC's Why Slavery series, and it follows employment agents who vividly describe the trade, as well as maids who struggle to find a way home after harrowing, sometimes deadly experiences. Let's take a look. Hello. Hello. Uh,
2: sorry, I What uh, I
1: Except for the land,
2: but the evidence على taken. But if you want a half level and hard, it ولا
1: So when I was going around um, talking to all of these janitors, I met uh, one Syrian man and he said to me, there's a, there's a woman up on the sixth floor of this building and she's in trouble. And he said, when she comes down to clean the cars, the madame sits, stands out on the balcony and watches her so that she can't run away. And he said, I've been here for five years and she hasn't been home during that time. So I know, I know there's something wrong. I said, get me her telephone number, just get me a contact number and I can try to do something to help her. So it took him three months, but finally he got a little piece of paper, she dropped it with her telephone number. And I got my Filipino friend to ring, um, ring the number and the person on the other line nearly died because uh, the per- uh, he was the husband of Halima and he hadn't heard from her for 10 years and uh, she hadn't sent any money home for 10 years either. So we put this story on our page. It was one of the very first stories we did put on This Is Lebanon. And because of the pressure from the page, um, they ended up sending her home one night. Uh, So we felt that it was important to tell her story because it was the early days of the page, we wanted to highlight, you know, we were bringing this stuff into the light. And so we wanted uh, them not to just get away with shoving her on a plane and no one found out what had happened to her. So myself and a friend, also a missionary, uh, we went to the Philippines and we created, a do- or he created a documentary about her. So I'm just going to show you a little clip from Halima's story.
2: And then, mo bang tumakas? Gusto ko rin makas pero paano huwag makatakas, hindi kandado ako. Nakakandado ka? Oo. Ano, naisip na minsan ba, naisip mo na rin na parang magpaka- magpakamatay, yung ganun? Eh, naisip ko rin para magkamatay, pero naisip ko yung mga anak ko. <laughs> naisip ko yung mga anak mo? <laughs> Oo. Oo. Oh. masasabi ko po kay Madam Ipti sa ari ay mas, sin, masaya siya sa ginawa niya sa aking nanay. Hindi lang niya ang naisip na kung saan ka niya anak gagawin. Ito na ginawa niya sa amin Okay. Sam, sampung taon na hindi nag <laughs> Okay. Naka appealing ai. Na nai tapos pina uwi pa siyana. sana. Maka kululun Ina.
1: So that is the problem, that there is no law. (laughs) They're specifically excluded by the laws, actually, domestic workers. So she went home about a year and a half ago and the first hearing of her case, we've got her international human rights lawyers, uh, took her case to to court, took a year and a half to get a hearing. And um, uh, they presented a paper that they'd had Halima sign, saying that she had a wonderful time in Lebanon and she was very busy because she was out shopping for gold and buying gifts with her madame, and she spent the rest of the money on getting her teeth fixed. So uh, the problem is the, the whole system, the whole judicial system is stacked against these women. If a case does uh, get to court, it takes about three years, and sometimes they won't get justice at the end of it anyway. So. We hadn't been going for that long. And um, I was at the prison one day and uh, we, we were working our way through the book of um, Exodus. And we got to the bit where the, the Israelites were trapped. They had the army behind them and the, the Red Sea in front of them and doom and gloom in front of, in front of them. And there was that verse uh, that says, stand still, and see how the Lord your God will fight for you. And I, I preached on that that day in the prison. And I went home, and I gave myself a little pat on the back and I thought, Well, wow, you really nailed it today, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I got home and I did what I always did when I walked in the door, open up the computer to check the page to see if there were any new messages. And it was gone. The, uh, the Facebook page had been unpublished. And so I went on the um, internet to find out what happened to other people when they got their pages unpublished and no one ever got their page back. One had 110,000 followers and he said he had to start again from scratch. And so I thought, wow, I wonder if that verse really works. (laughs) Stand still and see how the Lord your God will fight for you. And then um, three days later, um, after a re- refreshing break, because there was no Facebook, <laughs> um, I got a, we got an email. First, I need to say that the face of our page, the face of our website is a Nepali friend of mine who was a migrant worker in Lebanon and became a believer, a, a Christian there, I think from a Buddhist background, who had migrated to Canada, but was still very passionate about um, justice for domestic workers. And so he was the face of our page because I was living in Lebanon. I didn't want the authorities looking for for some, you know, for me, basically. So he was in Canada and safe. So he, he became the face of This Is Lebanon, Nepali. And so um, three days after our page was unpublished, we got an, I got an email and all, it was just one sentence. And it said, your page has been um, republished. And the uh, the signature on the email was Nepali, it was a Nepali person. And so it was amazing because it was something I could have never engineered. You know, Facebook is a machine and you can't talk to it. And uh, every Nepali, every Nepali knows what's happening to um, their woman in the Middle East. And so I don't know whether it was actually him that reviewed the case, but I thought it was wonderful that we got this email from a Nepali man saying the page had been republished. Back then, we were doing things that all the things that Facebook like, um, I was putting horns on the pictures of the abusers and tails and stuff like that. It was very therapeutic, (laughs) but um, we've stopped doing that now. (laughs) So, I want to um introduce you to another woman who we helped to get home. She was also uh trapped for 10 years, and we got her home because of the page
2: video. (laughs) मेरे सौरी तेरा ही रोही रो ही भाई रहा ऐसा डरा साथ ऐ कुरा बोलने पुनि थोड़ा सा मेरे सौरी ये स्तो भाई रे पढ़ा हूँ मेरे सौरी को काम है जस्तो जा हो उसको भागो था उसको भाई सा जत्ती भागो रे जत्ती ती है रे रे पढ़ा ही तीनों वाला दस काम But I've met through the process of the Pamela Spear R слова did didn't
1: Oh, that's him. We always expose the abusers. So those, he's a doctor, this guy, prostate specialist. So we, if they don't cooperate, then we put their faces on Facebook. If they cooperate, if they do what they're supposed to do by paying her her salary and sending her home, even though it kills me to do it, we hide their identities. So that's, where, that's how we're able to help. Um, I'll just show you one more clip. It's um, Selena, her brother contacted us from Ghana. They would lost contact with her for two years and he contacted our page from help, for help. Hi, I'm fine, and you? Good, thank you. Thank you very much. Could I um, talk to her on your phone?
2: No, I'm sorry because I'm always busy at work and I cannot allow her to use any phone because when she uses a phone she is making all this trouble. Wait two months, she will be in Ghana. Maybe I'm waiting for another girl. Once the other girl will arrive, I will uh, I will book for her, and she will be in Ghana. Yeah, yani maximum two weeks, uh, two a month, she will be in Ghana.
1: No, I can't wait two months. I need to check on her.
2: She is very fine. Aslan, the rules here in Lebanon. Nobody is, in, uh, nobody can force me here to buy her a phone or to let her contact her family. She has right only for six months or every one year to call her family. Nothing in the contract forced me to, to let her contact her family all the time.
1: She's entitled to a phone call once a month.
2: Once a month. Uh, two weeks ago, she called her mom.
1: No, she didn't. I'm talking to her brother.
2: Lena has taken my sister to Lebanon for two years now. We don't hear from her. My mother is so sick because she don't hear from her. She has been thinking about my sister every day. I hope you are fine over there. Yes, I hope you are fine.
1: So we got her home as well, but um, she didn't get her salary for two years. But we have had some amazing successes. Those women we got out, but they didn't get paid. We've actually up to date. We've um, enabled 41 women to get home in the last two years. So. And that was my voice. I always, um, I always ring them, and I'm Patricia, in um, honour of my gangster mother. <laughs> and we always try to track them into saying something on the phone that we can use in the audios later. So that's how it works. Uh, we didn't keep, at the beginning, we we didn't really know what we were doing, to be honest. And uh, But last June, we started proper case management systems and keeping good records. And so from last June till today, till last night, we've uh, had 2,226 people contact our page. So we're now like, we've, without me ever planning it, it was just, at the start, it was me thinking like, let's just expose some of this stuff, you know? and hope that it will eventually bring change. But I didn't realise that we were, going to be, we were to become the hotline for domestic workers. So now I get calls at all kinds of, all hours of the day and night. Ma'am, help me please, she's beating me, get me out, quickly, get me out. And so it's, it can be quite stressful. But we now, I'm now employing five staff and we're uh, based in four different countries. And the caseworkers um, are women who used to be domestic workers themselves in Lebanon, and who understand the situation. There's a nice little story. One of the women that was working with me, she came on at the start as a volunteer, and uh, in Lebanon, Ethiopian woman. And we, we've taken on some really um, big players. We've, uh, the woman who had Halima as a hostage was a politician. And we've taken on um, doctors and lawyers, politicians, like really top people with um, connections at high level. So I became afraid for um, Sarah's safety, the girl that worked with me. And I knew I was about to uh, leave, New- leave Lebanon myself and I tried to get her out. I rang, she was already a UN refugee uh, approved. I rang people in New Zealand and the immigration service. I rang the Red Cross, I pulled all the strings I could, and everyone said to me, it'll take a miracle. And I was telling my sister Fiona that, and she said, "Um, well, it's just as well, we've got a God who does one of those. (laughs) And so amazingly, um, I couldn't do anything to help her. But one day I was talking with a woman uh, who was seeking help for a maid. And at the end, she said, "Um, we, we foreigners in Lebanon are so thrilled about this page. And I said, oh, that's very nice of you to say so. What do you do in Lebanon? And uh, she said, I work for the UN. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> and so I told her about Sada. and three days later, Sada had an interview at the Canadian embassy. And she arrived in Toronto the same day I arrived in Auckland. <laughs> so it was amazing that, um, how God worked, worked it out for her to, to get her to safety. So we do have a God who does miracles. Um, Shortly before I came home, one of the, there was a story in the media of an Ethiopian girl who was found dead in her recruiting agent's swimming pool. And two of these girls are dying every week. And some of them are botched um, escape attempts. Like it's amazing that Halima didn't, The, the, the family that Halima worked for, the Filipino lady, her, that employer's son had an Ethiopian and she jumped to her death. So uh, two, two per week are actually dying. And I wanted to, um, to mark the passing of this Ethiopian girl who died in the swimming pool and just not let it pass as all these other deaths do unnoticed. And so a Baptist church in Beirut hosted a, an event, a memorial service and it was, the church was full of um, domestic workers, maids who could get a day off. And many of them had never been inside an evangelical church before and were very nervous about it. But um, the pastor led the service in a way that was incredibly sensitive and incredibly beautiful. And one of the activists that I knew, one of the most um, important activists in Lebanon, she didn't wanna go inside the church, but she was sitting out in the festival part. And I went in, I was just, I had to go out and do something. I was standing beside her for a minute. And she said to me, when the pastor was talking, she said, who is this? She said, I've never heard a religious leader talk in a way like, in in this kind of way. And so it was, for me, it was kind of like a little gift because I wanted to bring together those two streams in my life, the the evangelism and the activism and the the search for justice. And so um, that was really just one of the final things that happened before I left Lebanon and I was very grateful to God for that. So um, I want to just finish with uh, the reading that was read in the church that day in three different languages. And some of these Psalms When you read them in New Zealand, they don't seem very applicable, but when you read them in the context that I was in, they are really applicable. So I want to just finish with the Psalm this morning. It's from Psalm 94. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evil-doers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, "The Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. He who planted the ear does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked." He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe out their wickedness. Wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. (laughs) So, oh, one thing, um, if you have Facebook, you should uh, go onto it or Instagram and like our page. This is the um, the logo, because there is more than one This is Lebanon page. That's our logo, yeah. And we also, I also have a give a little page as well, again, for, to try and raise funding for this. So give to the building project first. <laughs> and if you have a little bit of money left over, you can give it to the maids. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Well, Stephanie, we um, we live in a world where um, we look to these emerging nations like Syria and Lebanon, and we see this veneer of civility there. And uh, you know, your work has cracked open and revealed uh, the true essence of what these nations are actually being built upon—that is, this slave slave labor. And uh, in doing so, um, uh, you walk in the same footsteps as the likes of William Wilberforce and others who are uh, who are abolitionists. And you you've come into uh, the Middle East and by God's grace, you've had this revelation and not only of the uh, despair, but um, a strategy as to how to, to see people set free. And so set free physically and obviously sent back home, but also set free because uh, even in the context of being enslaved, they've been able to meet the Lord. So uh, we, we celebrate what God has done through a... Um, a wonderful woman from the Manawatu, from the, Beth- from the uh, Palmerston North Baptist Church. And, uh, and so we're just so grateful that you've been able to share with us once again. And um, yeah, go on to the Give a Lot page. We'll call it, we'll call it Give a Lot page and, uh, and see what you can do to help out in this whole ministry. As you can see that in today's world, you don't need to be living in the context to be able to meet that, um, meet that mission need. And uh, so we're so grateful. So let me pray for you and pray for us as we finish our time today. God, we um, we see so much in Scripture about how you set people free, uh, be that physically or spiritually. And uh, we thank you for today, Lord, an insight into our world, uh, our world where sinful human beings uh, can take advantage of those who are vulnerable. And Lord, we just want to pray that for Steph and her team, Lord, they can continue to push back against this evil and ensure that uh, your light comes into this world and that things can change dramatically. Lord, um, you, you reminded Steph in that moment when you, when the people of Israel were told to be still and to wait. Lord, in the midst of these these times of oppression, we just know that you have to move in ways that we can't. And so uh, we just pray that you'd stir up those powers, stir up those leaders, stir up those international forces that can break the stronghold by your power in the situation in Lebanon. And all we pray for Steph. We pray that you'd continue to guide her, give her vision and insight, and uh, continue to expand her world in such a way that she can uh, see this ministry touching more and more lives. So we're privileged to be able to hear these stories today. And we pray, Father, that you would set indeed the captives free. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.